0: two of those guys that okay
1: that's all i want
0: yeah so um let's say a little prayer and then we'll dive in okay dear father god in heaven we are very grateful today for your word and for what it does in us and how you work through us and how you shape and mold us help today lord for this to be your study these to be your words, and and that you would open our hearts and our minds, your spirit would move in us, and and we would identify with you, and we'd be empowered to share, um, unable to stop ourselves from sharing who you are to all we meet. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I want to begin with a little bit of a premise that there are more people that want to hear about Jesus than there are people willing to talk about Jesus. There are more people that want to hear about Jesus than there are people that are willing to talk about Jesus. People need Jesus and they need what he can do for them, what he does for them, what he does in their lives. And they really need that. And it's not just this idea of we need to invite people to church because that's really kind of passing the ball off on the field. That's not really going for the touchdown yourself. Because Jesus doesn't say, go, therefore, and invite people to church so your pastor can, and elders can win them to Jesus. No, he says, go, therefore, and spread the gospel, baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's, there is a responsibility we each have for that, all right? And so that command of Christ is to go. It's not to maybe. It's, it's a go. That's what it is. And so uh, let's be honest with that. The, one of the biggest obstacles that prevent us from obeying that command is just simple fear. And there's lots of those fears that go with it. You know, there's the fear of not knowing what you're supposed to say, fear of saying the wrong thing, the fear of not knowing enough. Maybe someone's going to ask a question, not know the answer to. So I think that one of the things that should be happening in this class is you should be becoming equipped. Every day, when you, every Sunday when you leave this class, you should be more equipped and more ready and more able to say, let me tell you what I learned about Jesus this week. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. And then, oh, you got a question about that? I know what the answer to that is. Let me. How about this? Have you ever heard this before? And you can answer that thing. So fear is a powerful weapon of our enemy. Faith is the antidote to fear. And then having that knowledge gives you the strength and the power to overcome it. All right? So in order for us to uh, take away those reservations and fears, that's one of the things that I just laid out, this whole idea of these different classes that we would have. That would be to train you with an arsenal of information so that you can go out into the world and answer those questions, engage with people and culture and spread Jesus and talk about Jesus. Now, um, my idea is that we'll have these because we don't have, you know, five leaders to take up these classes and we don't have, you know, 100 people to go to these classes. So what we'll probably end up doing is just rotating these topics on different Sundays. All right. And then I'm going to try and buttress that with the, um, the B- U Version Bible study. Um, I know, really, another U Version Bible study? Please. Yeah. So just to keep you in the Word and keep you focused on God. All right.
2: What, what do you think about the idea that um, Revelation tells us there were two ways that the believers overcame? One of them was through the blood of the Lamb. And the other was through the word of their testimony. When people say, I, don't, I can't memorize the Bible like you seem to be able to. Or they look at a Matthew and go, he just knows so much. And I'm so, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a sad thing that happens when you're sitting under a great teacher that I now feel inadequate. But every person should explore their own testimony. Because if you have nothing else, that is the real story that I was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see if you cannot answer those simple questions that you believe you once were lost and now you're found you once were blind but now you see you once were lame in your walk but now I walk upright I once had withered hands but now they're able to do things then that's where you should start Because that doesn't take anything that doesn't take memorized scriptures that doesn't take anything. And, and you have to remember in the first century, that's what the people had. They didn't have the Bible. It wasn't even written. They had their testimony that Jesus came into their lives and changed them. And so I would encourage every person to rather than dig in. And and of course I love Bible studies. But you've got to have your own testimony, of course. And, and that is the beginning. They're going to forget all the memorized verses you come up with. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to tell you, they, they don't remember those. They remember, man, I talked to this guy. <clears throat> I mean, he said his life got changed. That's what I need, a life change. Anyway.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's, there's an old uh, saying about that, that there are three testaments in the world, the Old Testament the New Testament and your Testament. And a testament is a testimony. And you're exactly right. The most uh, powerful way that you can communicate the gospel to others is to tell others what the gospel has done to you, what Jesus has done for you. And that doesn't, like you say, that doesn't take any learning because you've already learned it because you've lived it. And that's what you can, you can, you can engage in that conversation with people. And many times the things that we go through in life are the very things that God uh, puts us through to teach us and equip us for the person who needs that later on in life. So when we come across that person who has a specific need that we've already experienced, we can come to them and say, yeah, I know what you're going through because I went through it. And here's what God did with me and for me. Um, so let's look at um, the story of the road to Emmaus. It's at, at the last page of Luke chapter 24. And it starts at verse 13 and goes to about 30 something. Um, so would anyone be willing to read this story? Anyone who can see the story to read it? (laughs) I saw you holding, like, well, my arms are getting shorter. I
2: already conceded my
0: talking. You've already conceded your talk, you've talked enough today. His his, his word limit is over. Yeah. Uh, 13 uh, chapter 24 of Luke is where it starts. Verse 13. I'll stop you when I need to. How about that?
3: And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threesome furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that day, should not know them. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one another as ye walk in our side? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas? Yes, Cleopas. Answering and said unto them, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have him crucified. But we trusted that it has been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of company made us astonished, which were early at the supper. And when they found not his body, they came saying, they had also seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them, which were us, went to the, how do you pronounce that?
0: Sepulchre.
3: Okay, I'm sorry. And found it even so, as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools of slow heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures things concerning himself.
0: All right, I'll stop right there for a second. (laughs) Okay. So you get the picture here. So these two guys are walking down the road. They are completely crushed. All right. They had so their followers, one's known by the name Cleopas, he's identified. So these are people, you know, they basically, it would seem as though they have just left everything and started following Jesus. And that's how a lot of these people were. That's how the 12 apostles were. They just walked away from their nets and just started following Jesus. And so these are two of those types of people. And so now they've had all their hopes built up in this one man, Jesus, and their expectations were not realized. And now they're crushed and they're going, well, let's go back home. That wasn't it. We thought he was the one. It ain't happening. And they're going back. And then he just comes up. Hey, what y'all talking about? What are we talking about? Where are you from? Do you not know what's been going on around here? I mean, it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. Well, what are we talking about? What, what? Jesus. Who? Jesus of Nazareth. The prophet. The one we thought was the Messiah. And and the the chief priests gave him up, and and then the Romans killed him. It's been three days now. and then those crazy women? They say they saw him, like, alive, and then they saw angels, and a bunch of junk. We can't believe that. We're going home. Oh, you foolish, slow of heart, slow of understanding. Is it not right that the Messiah should have to suffer all this stuff? You see, they had built up this expectation in their minds for, like Mr. Roy said a couple weeks ago, the Jesus they wanted, the king they wanted. But God was bringing to them the king they needed. They needed that suffering servant to get their sins forgiven. They didn't need the conquering ruler to drive out the enemies. They needed to have it dealt with personally first, and then we can get the broader picture going here. And then, don't you just love what he says? He starts, he goes all the way back to the beginning to Moses. And he starts right there. And I'm guessing he starts at chapter 3 in Genesis. And he starts right there. And goes, boop, all the way through to the last prophet. And I don't think he missed a one. I think he got every single one. Right?
1: You can, you can say them in seven lines. Yeah. <laughs> are walking. Yeah. Walking on a rocky road. Seven
0: miles, got a little bit of time. Up and downhill. It ain't yeah. You ever walk through the mountains? It's, uh, a mile of walking on a country road in the mountain, even if it's paved, it's is a little difficult, right? So they so they're doing this. And so then and then what happens? They get to the village and he just he just sell uh, him. All right, we'll see y'all later. Whoa, 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 whoa man, it's getting dark. But won't you, not you come inside and get something to eat? Maybe spend the night. Don't, don't, don't rush off. Don't rush off. Okay, all right. I guess I'll come in. And it says it, and, and I don't know what this is. You know, people speculate as it was that Jesus had been so marred by the effects of the crucifixion that you didn't even recognize him anymore. People that knew him was he was he disguising himself? Was he blinding their eyes? Was he? Putting the, the the blinders on, so they couldn't clearly see exactly who he was. I mean, we can speculate on all that, but they didn't know who he was. They knew what was happening in their hearts because because then he shows up. Once he do, he sits down at the table. All right, it's time to eat. He grabs the bread, he breaks the bread, and wants to say, "Stay, stay, stay with us," because it's almost evening. The day has just ended. So he went inside to stay with him. Verse thirty. And happened, they recline the at table, and he took the bread, and he blessed it. Somebody's eyes are starting to open, right? And then he broke it. And he began to give it to them. Boy, they're starting to see something here. I'm guessing these two guys were in that room because we don't know how many disciples were there at the last supper. We know there was 12. There may have been more. I mean, Jesus had a lot of people that followed him. Could it happen? In verse 31, and then their eyes were suddenly open, And they clearly, opened by God, and they clearly recognized him. And then... He vanished. Gone. I'm out of here. Yes.
2: The Lord made us in
1: his image and he put his spirit in us for relationships and things. And we are creatures of emotions. And you can see in this story, just they were expecting an earthly ruler and thing, and then they were crushed and all. And this gives me pause to wonder uh, why so much we just tend to live in our emotions and not by our faith and not by walking in the spirit and walking with what we know the Lord would have us to do and go and thing. And, you know, Paul says, pray without ceasing, you know, and, and, you can and, and I have noticed a big in my life before, because I would pray in this and I'd have little things, but now I can consciously just sort of just thank the Lord for the for the sky and the blue things, I see a bird and I see a magnificent live oak tree and how he is life and how strong that is and how beautiful and you know, without really getting into the thus saith the Lord has been thou with sort of the greatest, you know, so we, 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 we just, I guess as humans, we just fall back on emotions so much and not so much on trusting, believing, and walking in the spirit. And yeah. it seems like these guys were really in their emotions.
0: And that's what happens. I mean, so I mean, he's talking about the, the women that go to meet Jesus in the, the you know, knowing his body and can, to finish the embalming process basically um, that day and they meet him and you know, he's, he's, they didn't recognize him. We see in this story, we see this, this, this point where God is revealing himself to them and then um, they have to make a decision about what's being revealed. And that's how God is for us. He reveals himself to us. And then we have the opportunity for a decision. And then, so here's what happens in verse 32. And then they said to one another, we're not our hearts just burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and opening the scriptures to us. And, um, and immediately, hey, oh, I got to go. I got to go. Gotta get. What do you mean you got to go? We just, we're getting ready to eat. No, yeah, I got to go. What do you mean? I got to go. I got to go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody what just happened but aren't you hungry? Yeah, give me some bread. Give me some bread. All right, let's go. Come on, let's go. And they immediately go back to Jerusalem. It says in verse, they got up that very hour, They went back to Jerusalem and they found the 11 apostles gathered together and those who were with them. And they were saying the same thing the lady said when they got back from the tomb, the Lord has appeared to us. He is risen and we have seen him. And verse 35, and they began to describe in detail what happened on the road and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, in my mind, that's a really cool moment as well, right? Yeah. So I, I see communion here. I see Jesus. He is
1: the bread of life. The
0: bread of life. And he's, he's opening up. He's, he's breaking the bread. He's, he is first communion. I mean, that's what I see. I see the first communion. Jesus leads it. That's what I see. And, and he's there. And I think that for us is something else. I mean, I think there's a message for that with us that in communion, we have that connection with God and with Jesus. And he comes to us in that. Now I want us to turn now to numbers 21 back at the, in the front of the book. And it's a short section It's verses four through nine. And um, it's one of these weird stories in the Bible, you know, the old Testament there's Bibles full of weird stories, you know, right. Crazy stories, but there it is. So if someone could find numbers 21, and we'll go verses four through nine, it's a short little passage. Numbers. numbers, numbers. What did I say? <laughs> I, said I said numbers. Okay, yeah, numbers. The book of Numbers. You got it? Go ahead, Lindy. Okay.
3: Um, from Mount Har, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he
0: would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's a weird story, huh? Yeah, it's true. So they are discontent. They're complaining. They're doubting God. They're saying, why don't we go back to Egypt? Basically, you know, this, is, this isn't working out, Moses. We should just go back, be slaves again. And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for us spiritually. God does not want us returning back to our lands of bondage in Egypt for us Personally, he doesn't want us to be slaves to sin. He wants us to be free and to live in that freedom. And so he sends these serpents. And it's interesting because one of the great things about the saints of the past, and these are, these are people who believe there was going to be a Messiah, the same way we look back and believe there was a Messiah. The, one of the great things that we have in these examples of the Old Testament um, where they make the wrong decision. And they suffer and it's painful, is we don't have to make that same decision. We can learn from their mistakes so we don't have to make their mistakes. We we just look at their pain, we can skip it. We don't have to have it. Um, so this is just such a strange thing because here we have the um the The lawgiver, Moses, right? And he is um, at the people. The people have a curse has come upon the people. These snakes are in the camp. They're biting the people. They're dying, right? And um, it's because of their disobedience to God. Now, um, remember what Martin Luther's principle of the first mention in Scripture is? Whenever you have a a, a concept, a thing, or an idea, a person shows up the first time in Scripture, that all through scripture, that whatever happens in that first time it shows up will continue to show up and happen the rest of the time. So where 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 we first see a serpent in the Bible? Uh, The garden. Yeah, the Garden of Eden. Yeah, exactly. Right, the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. So who do you think the serpent represents in the story that we just read? Jesus. (laughs) That's Satan, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's this is where it's going to get a little strange. Now, the lawgiver, God said, "Here's my big ten. Right, there are six of these are all about your relationships with others. Four of these about your relationship with me. And one of the things I say about me that you're not going to do is you're not going to make a graven image. You're not going to bow down and worship it." Right. So now we have this really strange event happening. I mean, we just read it, right? The lawgiver was told by God, the lawgiver, to make a graven image. And that graven image would bring about the healing of the people. Well, this is just strange, isn't it? You know, this isn't explained anywhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. But we thank God for Jesus. Because Jesus explains it in the New Testament. I know you're going, what is he talking about? Who knows John 3 16? You know it, right? Before all know it by heart, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever, whoever believes whosoever. in him, whosoever, I'm a whosoever. Are you a whosoever? I'm a whosoever. Whosoever believes I'm in him whosoever. will not perish but have eternal life, right? We all know that verse right? What's John 3, 14, and 15?
1: Jesus was very good, and God uh, was his father, and he did very nice things, and we love him lots.
0: Okay, let's turn to John chapter 3 and look at verses 14 and 15, because I think after today, you will never look at John 3, 16 the same. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15.
1: And as Moses lifted up the serpent the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life.
0: So, Jesus just explained the story we read. So let's go back to the story we read. The snake is sin, right? The sin is attacking the people. They're suffering. Some of them are in pain. A lot of them are dying. They need relief from it. They've come to Moses and said, "We sinned against God. Please go to God and let's get this right, so this will stop." God tells Moses to take a make a symbol of the very thing—the sin and the punishment, the death that's coming upon them—in the form of this snake in bronze. Bronze in the temple is the metal of judgment. All right. When it's used in the temple structure, in the tabernacle, bronze is always associated with judgment. So here we have judgment in the image, in the form of sin, this snake that brings death to these people, put on a pole. Now, I'm going to imagine, because in, uh, in Dallas Jenkins' The Chosen episode about Nicodemus, He starts the episode with this story, Numbers 21, and Moses is in a tent and he's got a hammer and he's got a furnace and he's beating this piece of bronze and he's making it round and he makes it into the snake. And Joshua's like, what are you doing? He's like, this is what God told me to do. He's like, that makes no sense. God told me to do this, so I'm doing it. I don't care if it makes sense. It's what God said to do. Now, if you're making a a symbol of, of a snake and you're making it like a coil of a spring and you try and hang it on a pole like a shaft, It ain't going to stay up very long, is it? Now, if you put a cross member on top of that pole, so it makes like a T, you can hang that thing on top of it and you can stand it up outside the tent of meeting, the tabernacle in the center of the the camp. And then what do you tell everybody? If you look at this symbol of your sin, this accumulation of your sin that's bringing death and pain and misery and suffering to you, if you look to that and believe the words of God, to the man of God, Moses, that it will cleanse you, it will heal you, and then it will save you, that will happen. God did not say, all right, Moses, set this thing up in front of the tent, and whoever believes in it and brings a lamb to sacrifice will be saved. He didn't say, whoever comes down here and brings some an incense offering or a drink offering, he said, he didn't say he had to come down, he said, just look, look and live, your sins will be forgiven. That's what Isaiah says in chapter 45. It says that same thing. Look and live and you'll be forgiven. So then are you getting, are you seeing the living pictures here? What's going on? All the symbolism. Remember all the old Testament, all the old Testament is symbolism and ceremony and ritual without meaning and fulfillment. I
1: heard somebody say
0: that. And, and that does, and the meaning of fulfillment doesn't come about until Jesus shows up and then it all makes sense. Yes.
1: I heard someone say that the Old Testament was something that happened in the physical, that in the New Testament, you work it out in the spiritual. Yeah.
2: So, or, yes, I've given it. this particular story some thought. Here's my thought You're bitten by a snake, and somebody comes into your camp. How many people were there? Bob? Uh,
0: maybe a million. millions. Yeah.
2: Millions. This camp's big. This camp's as big as next to <laughs> Somerville. I mean, there's millions of people there because we know they told us that. So now you've been told we're dying from these snakes that are biting us, and somebody says if you go see Moses, he's got something—I don't know, snake or something—you got to go see him. Though, well, what do you have to do then? Got to go you got to go. you got to get up from where you are. I said, well, where is he? He's in the parking lot. Oh, that's easy. He's across the Cooper River Bridge and over in Mount Pleasant. Eh, I'm not going there. I'm going to just put some more stuff on this. You see, this is the walk of faith. And what saved Abraham? His faith. His faith. Not anything else. His faith in doing what God told him to do. So if you're a guy on the outskirts of town of this of this place that they're at, you're, you're, you may be a full day's walk or two days walk or three days walk from Moses. You have to get up and believe that what you've heard is true. And that's the guy I always think of. That's me. I got to get up and go listen and go hear and go read. And then I have to believe that this is true. And so really this story of the serpent is a story of faith as much as it is about, you know, whether the snake was in the cross and all that, that may be true. It might be, I love the imagery, but it's really for me, I'm going, where are you going? Hey, they said, Moses has a snake. I'm going that Moses guy. Remember they, they talked about Moses a lot. They grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. I don't care what you guys say. I'm dying, I'm going, and I'm taking my kid with me. If they went not to worship the snake, just to look at it, they got healed. but that's a crazy story if you're on the outskirts of town. That's just another nutty story
0: mm-hmm. and then imagine crazy. imagine that so it's always a
2: it's a story of faith
0: it is a story of faith, so imagine that is the people are approaching, maybe somebody's having to carry them on a wheelbarrow or something that's so sick they can't walk and they're going to go up and we're going to heal grandma. But as they're walking up like that, somebody comes running, hey, hey come I'm healed, look at this, i my head, I'm great, it's great. And they're running back to their, their tent. I mean, they're just celebrating with enthusiasm their salvation. So I hope you're seeing all this. So it is on that night. So picture that night. So Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the ruling class. You know, this is in chapter three of John. Um, and he comes by night to meet with Jesus because he's heard these stories. Maybe he's heard some things. Maybe, maybe he's stood on the outside edge of a, of, a, of a session of Jesus teaching and was like, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. I think he's got something here. But he wants to know more. He's curious. So he shows up because he wants to know more about this healer, this prophet. And he comes and cover a night, and he gets so much information. And it's stuff he just can't even imagine, completely different directions than where he wanted to go. So let's look at that chapter 3 in John, and look at how it relates to the road to Emmaus. And then I think you'll be getting to see the broader picture of Scripture, this brush that God's painting. So this is a, uh, an event that's taking over thousands of years, Um, apart from the numbers event, you know? So the first thing I notice is that Nicodemus um, shows up at, who could read uh, John chapter three? Let's just start with uh, that, maybe verse one. More Bible, yeah, I know. Now there was a Pharisee,
4: a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, Who has come from God, where no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless
0: they are born again. What's up right there? Now, the first thing I notice is that Jesus kind of gives him this off-the-wall response to his statement. There's no connection here. As, As I read this, between what Jesus is saying and what Nicodemus has said, Nicodemus says this, you know, this platitude, and then Jesus immediately goes right to the heart of the matter. You're never going to be saved. Not like you're going. It's not going to happen. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And we're talking about that right now. The Holy Spirit class. Born in the Spirit. I'm sorry, continue. How can someone be born when they are old?
4: Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered
0: It's interesting the connection that Jesus makes here. Born of the Spirit. If you're born of the Spirit, you're alive in the Spirit, right? If you're born, you're alive. You have to be born in the Spirit to be alive in the Spirit, to be a follower of Christ. He's pointing and drawing Nicodemus into this whole different look at what life is supposed to be like. Nicodemus is trapped in a world of rituals and ceremonies and performance. Meeting up to the standard, making sure you don't, don't spit on Sunday. You might land on a plant. That'd be work. That'd be sin. You, you'll go to hell, buddy. You can't do that. I'm telling how many sacrifices you have to make for that. He's drawing him into a different relationship with God. Completely different. All right, keep going. Thank you, Barb. How can this be, Nicodemus
4: asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven.
0: Hold on a second. Hold on a second. All right. I'm sorry, what? The son of man. The son of man. Yeah, thank you for finishing this sentence. So, OK, this this goes right back to the um, the road to Emmaus story at this point for me, because what did he say? No one has nobody has, has been to heaven except for me, basically, because I'm the only one that's come down. And I'm the only one that's gone back. All right. So we know that in the Old Testament, there are different stories where as I read Scripture and I identify the person, the character in Scripture, the only person this can be is Jesus, King Messiah. It's called a Christophany or a a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. The idea being that Jesus, the Son of God, is pre-existent God, very God of very God, from the very beginning with God, the Son of God. Yes, but he existed with God in the beginning, and he just shows up wherever he needs to wherever he wants to in the Old Testament. He shows up when Abraham needs to know there's a baby on the way. He shows up when Joshua's got a big battle to fight. He shows up when Samson is about to be born. Um, he shows up over and over again. And so when he says in, in my ear, when I hear Jesus say these words to Nicodemus about, I'm telling you what I know, because I have been there and here and I'm back again now. It's because he's been there and there and he's been back. And now he's back again now. All right. So we'll get some more Nicodemus in here. What you got? <laughs> this
4: is Jesus still. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the son of man must be lifted up but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son.
0: That's I'm sorry. One more verse, but
4: I don't know how far you want to go. All
0: right. That's good. So notice what's going on here. And this, this, this story, the road is, is, is recorded. This is the more detailed recording. There's a second recording in Mark. Um, But there's something that shows up here after this. So the idea is that condemnation is preventable as long as you embrace belief. That's what he's saying. The son of man did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. But if you do not believe what I'm saying and what I'm doing for you, you're condemned already. And you're not going to make it. And that's what goes back to the that's why he brings the serpent in. And says, this is what Moses did and why. These people were condemned to die because of their sin. They were being punished and afflicted for it. God had brought the punishment upon them. The condemnation was in the camp, and the effects were living them out, and they were dying. And they said, if you take this embodiment of sin, this snake, this thing that's bringing your death, and you hang it on this pole, like Jesus takes all the sin of the world, hangs himself, he's hung on the cross, and all the world sees that. And we look to what he has done in that. And that's where we find our salvation. Now, in Mark, where well, this is recorded in the last verses of Mark, chapter 16, if you turn there, I have to send this out to you supplementally. This isn't in your notes. Yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, Mark 16, the very end of the book. Chapter 16. And Mark will turn to... Hold on. We'll start at the end, and it is verse. Excuse me, one second. I'm scrolling to it. <coughs> verse nine. In sixteen nine is where we would see this. Hold on a second. Let's. Yep, yep, yep. Let's do this. All right, verse, verse, uh, verse nine. Let's start. Chapter sixteen, verse nine. Who can read for me?
1: Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils.
0: Keep going. Have you got to eleven yet? So he yeah.
1: went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared on another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the, the rest them, neither believed they them. Afterward, he, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and unbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Right,
0: I stop there for a second. There's a pattern that's going on here in these verses. Okay, so this, though obviously this is not a very detailed account of the road to Emmaus, but we know because of what Luke tells us, that's who they're talking about here. Notice this, revelation, a valley of decision, sudden point of accountability. In verses 12 through 13, Jesus reveals himself to the women in the tomb, Mary in particular, and she goes and tells the other disciples And they refuse to believe, all right? So there's revelation from God. Jesus appears to her. There's doubt and unbelief, okay? The same thing happens again. The guys come back from Emmaus in verses 12 through 13. We saw Jesus. You won't believe it. This is awesome. And what happens? Uh, Well, that's a nice story, boys, but we just ain't going to believe it, all right? And then finally, Jesus himself has to show up to these knuckleheads, forgive me, and say, "Hey, it's me! I'm here, And then he has to rebuke them because of their unbelief, because of their doubt, because they would not believe, and it also says that they harden their heart, that unbelief harden their heart, and that happens to us when we engage in unbelief it it puts a callous layer upon us, and we don't, and because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had been risen. So look at verse 15. Is uh, that what you up to now? Go ahead and read verse 15, please.
1: And he said unto them, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover.
0: Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you did see it in your Bible. I mean, Mr. Roy right. and I didn't collude and make this words up. I mean, that's that's what he says, right? So in verse 15, we get our orders from, from God, and they are go, right? Go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Right. And so who is your mission target? According to Jesus in verse 15,
2: the whole world.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the whole world, every creature, every creature. So, you know, we are not allowed to exclude anyone. Okay, so we cannot make the decision on our own that says, you know, I'd love to witness to my neighbor, Bob, but, you know, I don't think he would ever listen. Nope, you're not allowed to do that. You know, I would like to say something to this person, but I don't know if they would listen. You're not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to exclude because it's not, it's just like our story today. The people involved in the salvation and the healing are not the ones doing the work. And that's the way we are as we go. It's the Holy spirit that does the work. We're just a vessel. We're a pipeline and we're delivering the message. That's all it is. We are giving people the opportunity to know more about God. That's all we're doing. If they choose to engage in that opportunity, then we engage in that opportunity, but we cannot make them engage with God. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a little picture in my brain. Yes. I got a,
2: a sickness and there's two doctors and I go to the one doctor and he says, I think you have a cold and he gives me some cold medicine and it doesn't work. I go back to him and I say, it didn't work. He said, Oh, well let's try this. Um, and it doesn't work. And He says, let's try this. And there's another doctor. Who knows exactly what the problem is. But he won't give me the medicine. Which one's the worst sinner? He knows the problem. He knows the other one does not know the problem. He can't figure it out. But he's trying everything that he can do. Just to help me. This one knows the answer. But he won't help me. I went to him too, by the way. He's—I uh, can't help it—but he knows the answer. He's got—he's got the pill right there. I'm just using that as an example <clears throat> to yeah, say yeah, it's a good—good. Good we have the answer, but we won't give the medicine. So if somebody says. Uh, pick a topic, any topic you want to talk about, geopolitical, uh, cultural, uh, cultural. whether it's life, like death, healing, drunkenness, raising cucumbers, raising yeah, cucumbers, yeah, we have the answer <laughs> to a sinful world. We have the answer to the world's problems, but if we won't give the medicine, that's on us yeah and he said go ye therefore and all nations teaching them and making disciples if they go past the teaching part you can make a disciple if they go past that you can baptize them you can baptize them in at whatever point they say i'm in but but you got to start with the teaching that says this uh, transgender thing is not going to work for you it, it's not going to work it's against god's commands it's it's against it's against nature If your God is mother nature, it's against that. I understand you're confused, but it is against that. And it is not going to find you the peace that you're looking for. Right. And that 25, 30, 40 years ago, we might have said making a million dollars is not going to do it for you. See, we weren't dealing with transgenderism. We were dealing with with capitalism and getting everything you can get. That is not going to cut it for you. I know what you're seeking, but that's not going to do it for you. Fame is not going to do it for you. This adulterous relationship is not going to do it for you. We have the answer. We have the medicine, Mm -hmm. and we need heap big medicine. Yeah. I wrote that on a notepad about eight months ago. I'm waiting. I knew somehow that he, we need
0: he, anybody here disagrees that
2: we're only heat big medicine Heat like big that?
0: medicine no I, I agree watch a lot of <laughs> no we need heat big medicine <laughs> it actually the, the i actually had the example that you gave was actually in my notes um,
2: well
0: i should have been quiet no 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 I, I might not have gotten to it i may not have spoken it but if, in my example the doctor was giving the patient baby aspirin instead of the real antidote and then so sometimes we'll do that as well somebody comes to us with a problem and an issue and we in our fear don't speak the words the whisper the holy spirit's putting upon us to speak to that person and as a result we give them a baby aspirin which is completely useless it tastes sweet to the tongue does nothing to cure the issue and we really got the the real pill that will fix it right there we're going to close out here with this just a couple of things. Verse 16, believe and baptize. Um, If you put baptism and belief together in verse 16, Jesus says you're saved. If you do not believe, you don't even get to the baptism part, you're condemned. goes back to those same words he spoke to Nicodemus in uh, chapter 3 of John. Now, verse 17 is the convicting part, and everybody's going to get very nervous in your seats and think he's still on way over time, but I'm not. i still got six minutes. Point of personal observation. Verse 17, the sign of the believer. Number one, on Jesus' list of signs of believers, you cast out demons. Number two, speak in new tongues. It happens in Acts 2 and 5, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. In verse 18, take up serpents, and I think kill them, but take up serpents, they don't kill you. So I brought a box of snakes today. Lindy, you can get it out of the car. We're going to. Test everybody's faith. And that happened in Acts 28, 1 through 10. Paul, the viper at Malta, bit him and he did not die. Salem witch trials, yeah. If, if she doesn't drown, she's not a witch. Yep. A deadly drink will not hurt them. I've heard stories of missionaries that that's happened to them before. They've been poisoned by some local tribe in some meal, and then the poison doesn't kill them. And they come to faith because they're like, what are you and who is your God? because of the witness of that event in them lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So these are the things that a lot of people don't even like these. Many Bibles don't even have these verses in them. Some Bibles don't because they do not like this is a very convicting passage from, from Jesus. So how are you doing? I know I haven't cast any demons out this week. I haven't. I haven't laid hands on anyone. They've been healed. I haven't picked up any serpents. I haven't, as far as I know, drank anything deadly. I've I've really haven't shown up on all those things. And I don't know. I'm guessing it. Has anyone done any of that stuff this week? You did, Glenn? No. no? Okay.
2: Of just moved into the That's, all about.
0: That's one. I like that one, too. Moving mountains. So let's let's do this. So why don't we so why don't we just. Skip over this stuff, and let's get down to the, for the the daring side of the drama, all those things. And I did not bring a box of snakes, all right? Um, so let's look at the verses 15 through 16 again. And let's look at that test for the believer. Because that test is very easy. We can all pass that test every day. That's the go test. That's to share the gospel test. So my last question for you. Are you preaching the gospel with your life, with your mouth, with your daily choices, and that would be your test? Let's pray. Oh, wait, Glenn, you got something. What? And what's that?
2: In a devotion, my brother used quite often every every Monday morning. Men in this company get together about nine. A devotion, we get together, look at the devotion, week, we, and one of the ones just this past week said, so "I really probably witnessed more through my actions and my words to those around me, and that really makes a difference."
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and that is the thing is, so um, you can you can witness both. I think ultimately, our witness and the gospel does come to words in a conversation because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So. Absolutely live it, because if you aren't living it, your words are hollow, right? So we have to have both for it to work right. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the testimony of the saints of old. We're thankful for the testimony that you gave us and was recorded um, of your words, the words of life. And now let us be empowered and emboldened by you um, and what you've done in us and what you'll do with us this week. And may we boldly speak your gospel to all we meet in the name of Jesus. Amen.